Welcome to the Breakfast Leadership Show, where we interview global thought leaders on business, leadership, and life. Here's your host, keynote speaker, best-selling author, and chief burnout officer of the Breakfast Leadership Network, Michael Levitt. Welcome back. I've got Glein Roberts McCabe on the line. Glein, how are you? I'm great, thanks. How are you, Michael? I am awesome. Congratulations. You're a brand new, well, multi-time author. Uh, <laughs> I know you had a book before, but uh, tell us a little bit uh, about this new book, and we'll jump right into the, into the content of uh, why you wrote the book and, and some of the things that you're seeing. Yeah, so I'm super excited about this book. This is, uh, my book is called The Grassroots Leadership Revolution. And um, why is it a revolution? It's a revolution because I'm really a big believer in leaders and really anybody in their career. I work with leaders primarily, but I think a lot of the lessons apply to any of us. Taking control of your career path, you know, often we get thrown into organizations and we sort of rely on our manager to know what to do with us. And um, I think today we really have to be in partnership with our employers. We've got to figure out what's important to us and drive that career path. But what I also know about leadership is that we have this myth that it needs to be lonely, that you need to do it in isolation. And we've all heard that it's lonely at the top. Um, I've always said it's lonely in the middle on the way to the top, but it doesn't have to be. And so the other part of the book is this idea of not just kind of driving your own career path, but doing it with a community of support. So it's about building a peer community that you can work on these leadership practices with together and together you can elevate each other. I think um, right now, we talk about being in the age of knowledge, you know, we're knowledge workers, but I truly believe what we're in now is the age of collaboration. So everything, you know, to innovate, to <clears throat> handle adversity, you know, the buzzwords in organizations these days were about agility. All of those things rely on us getting out of our own heads and collaborating and connecting and broadening our views and broadening our ideas with other people. So we need we need sort of relationships. We're in this time and space where um, working with others, being part of a peer group, coming at it together versus this sort of isolated view of developing leaders. So it's a, a shift. And there's so much gold in there. And I think one of the things that I've seen in, in my own career in leadership is that oftentimes you feel like you're the only person on the planet that's doing this role, even though you could be at a conference and there's 250 people in that conference of a thousand that have the same job title as you, that do yeah. the same job, but you still feel like this lone ranger when you're going at things. And there's a combination of that. And then I've also seen it in, in some sectors, not all, but in some where the silos get built and, and basically they, 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 I don't want to call them, call them turf wars per se, but there's this protectionism where it's like, well, I can't share everything because they may take advantage of it and get that additional funding or get that client instead of me, instead of just being open and transparent and sharing you know, the, the lessons learned and, and seek guidance and get a mentor and have you know, be a mentor to somebody else as well is there's all these opportunities to help you grow as a leader because and you've seen this and I know you run into this all the time where organizations will bring on leaders and they say congratulations you're the new COO of this organization but unless that individual did 
some work on their own to grow into that leadership role and pick up the skills, they may not be fully prepared for that role, which creates all kinds of dynamic issues with the organization, their success, maybe their failure, uh, the strength or weaknesses of their teams. It, it has just a huge ripple effect. So uh, your, your book couldn't be more timely, especially in light of what we're facing right now at the time of this recording. We're, we're in the middle of this little pandemic. And I, I say that tongue in cheek. It's not necessarily little. It's a, a hitting the whole globe. Uh, but it, now is more important than ever for leaders to really start to lead. And I know many of them are struggling right now with trying to navigate through, you know, what's the outcome of this? What are we going to do? How are we going to work? What about remote work? How long can we keep it? You know, and all these things. I'd love to hear your insights on some of that. Yeah. I mean, I think one of the things that um, I talk about in the book, and, and I think this is what people need to understand about leadership. You know, we all, any of us that get tapped on the shoulder to move into leadership, it's usually because there's some quality, there's something that, um, you know, a, a lot of we and, and usually that thing is that we delivered results. Like that's usually the thing that got you to, you know, let's tap you on the shoulder, become a manager because you were the best of, you know, whatever you were doing. Um, and then you're, the reality of that is then when you become a manager, you're in a new situation. Leadership is situational. And that strength that you had when you were, you know, at the first level of your career might help you when you become a manager, but it can also become a detriment. And what happens through our career is those things that are our strengths, and especially when we've been winning and winning and winning, we get attached to them, right? We think that that's why we're um, successful is because we're so good at this and so good at that. And it almost becomes like a superstition for us. So we don't want to let go. That's, that's, that's our brand. That's our hallmark, right? But the, the, the reality is every strength contains a liability. So whenever I hear people brag about what they're so good at, I immediately know what their Achilles heel is going to be. And so in certain situations, that Achilles heel, the overuse of your strength is what's going to get you in trouble. And so what we're ha what's happening right now is that we're in a new leadership situation. That's all COVID is. It's a new leadership situation that's requiring all of us as leaders to adapt our approach. So if you are a leader who it really leans heavily onto FaceTime, you know, and I don't mean FaceTime, the, you know, the, the digital platform, I mean, having FaceTime with your um, employees and, and being there and kind of doing the very, uh, you know, random walk-bys and hey, this, hey, that. Well, probably I'm guessing right now what's happening in your life is you've got 5 million Zoom calls going on and you're exhausted by the end of the day because you're taking that approach and you're applying it to technology. And so what we have to step back and look at right now is what is our go-to approach when we're um, leading teams? What's the thing that we might need to amp up more? And there are certain behaviors that right now are really critical when you're leading remotely. There are certain behaviors. And, and one of the big ones is communication. It's really clearly communicating expectations, keeping the lines of communication open, making sure people know what's expected of them. Um, having a clear plan. So if you're somebody who tends to be fairly spontaneous, throwing things off at the hip, you might find that behavior less effective for you right now in this situation. So I think it's just a great time for all of us as leaders to step back. It's not a pretty picture. Sometimes when we step back, I hear a lot of times leaders complain about what they're doing. I was on a call yesterday with an executive team and it was all about what their people are doing, which is not working well in COVID. And my question to them was, what do you guys own out of this? If they're doing that, 
That's just a response to the behavior you're demonstrating as an executive team. So I think that's that's the part for all of us as leaders to really look at. It's amazing. And I, I, you touched on something that reminds me of a lot of the work that I do with people and, and their burnout is they've rose through the ranks. Now they're in the C-suite and they brought their manager's toolbox with them. And they, they, they don't know how to lead. They know how to manage more or less. They know how to do. They were doers. And now they are into a director type of role to direct, to delegate. Um, my, my, own, my own personal story, I was horrible at delegation, which led to my own burnout and amongst other bad habits and things like that. And then the pendulum swung a little bit. And once I healed from that and reinvented myself, it was a little too extreme because you could ask my assistants, like, you don't do much of anything. You just delegate everything. And I said, that's not absolutely true. Right now, I'm having a conversation with you. She's not in this call. Uh, so it, it's a case of, you know, I, I get where she's coming from because literally, if anything lands on my desk, I go, okay, who besides me could do this? And then, of course, you know, I added the additional thing because I, the last thing you want somebody to do is burn out your team. It's like, okay, if I assign this to this person, what else are they working on? And as a leader or a manager, you should know what they're working on. That's not micromanage. You should at least have an idea of the endeavors and the tasks that people are working on. So you need to say, okay, if I add this additional thing, what is that going to do to timelines, to deliverables, all these things? And oftentimes people don't take that extra couple minutes to look at that and say, okay, can this wait? Do we need to do this now? And I think now more than ever, especially with the COVID-19 situation is organizations, in my opinion, and I could be wrong on this, this is the time to kind of step back, like you said, and say, okay, who are we? What are the things we need to be working on? What's our core purpose? And and equally, and probably more importantly, is reach out to your clients, your customers, and ask them, what do you need from us right now? And do that. Okay, there might be this other thing you were working on, and you were going to say, the 2020, we're going to roll this out. Well, you know, 2020, you know, it's all bets are off as far as plans and initiatives. Doesn't mean you won't be able to do them, but how you do them may be a little bit differently. And again, your client needs may be different now. So, don't ignore that fact and don't be just so you know focused on we need to do this now. It's like, well, what does your clients need? What does your well, team need? Yeah, you're hitting on exactly, I think, such an important point right now, which is I think for a lot of senior leaders and, and people who get into leadership roles, we're a bit of a, you know, one of the challenges is we're achievement junkies, right? And so we have these um, lists of things and we get focused on the results and, and people are very responsible. We get very myopic, right? We just like, go, go, go after the result. And I think, you know, when you get hit by a pandemic, none of us have led through a pandemic. And I remember, you know, a month into it with my own business, um, bringing the team together, we had our business plan for the year, we had all the things we we're supposed to be doing for the year. And literally the third week of March, we were sitting in a room, well, not sitting in a room, sitting on a Zoom call. And I said, okay, let's just park this right now. What do we need to do for the next 30, 60, 90 days as, as a small business to navigate through this? That's the priority. And yet I've seen a lot of my clients 
just gunning after, um, you know, not not recalibrating on that because they're very achievement oriented. The bar was set. We don't want to deviate off the budget. We don't want to deviate off what our plan was. We're going to keep going after this. And I think, um, again, that's sort of the Achilles heel to that behavior. So to really be monitoring it. And, and I think right now it's such a great opportunity for so many organizations to step back and what I would call clear out the clutter. Like I have so many clients when I look at their calendars and they are just back to back to back to back to back in meetings. Isn't this a wonderful time to step back and go, what are we really trying to achieve here? And what is really the outcome that this meeting's supposed to be driving to or producing? And yet I feel like everybody's been very much in firefighting mode for the first few months. Now's really the time for leaders, you know, because um, when we're speaking, it's sort of the and towards the end of May. And um, it's the time that organizations need to be starting to recalibrate and think, what do we want to take forward from this COVID experience? And what do we want to let go of as a result of what we've learned going through the COVID experience? So again, adjust in behavior, adjust in priorities, and really, um, I think a great opportunity for organizations to reprioritize. It's it's crucial time to do that. And I think as someone that has sat through a billion too many meetings in my life that, that could have been an email or not even a Zoom call, it's the same thing. Ultimately, you go, okay, what do you need to do? Make it clear to your team what the outcomes are. Give them the timelines you need to have it done and get out of their way. Uh, the meetings, again, I think is another example of what we talked about earlier is it's just this opportunity to to show face and here, we're here to lead and we're going to have this meeting and we're going to talk about this. And uh, it those soul-sucking exercises don't get anywhere. Most meetings don't. There are some that are important, especially if, they, if they've got a clear agenda, clear timelines, what's the outcome, action plan, things like that. But I'm sure you see with your clients that yeah, I'm guessing it's single digit percentages as far as the success of those meetings because they're just too busy spinning their wheels. Now that's when you first start working with you. I'm guessing afterwards they get a little bit more fine tuned and say, <laughs> I'm, I'm hoping I'm, I'm assuming that's, you know, one of the many spokes of your consulting firm, but you know, it's just, you, don't, you know, why, why are you meeting? And yeah, yeah. I think, I think there's a couple of things that I see happening. I mean, one is again, meetings become a crutch to leaders that are not very planful. So it's an easy way to kind of make sure everybody stays on the same page. Let's just have a meeting. And then it's really all that is, is a download of information that that leader is doing because that leader is running so hard that they're not carving out time to do strategic thinking. So it becomes a crutch. You know, I kind of called out one of my clients to say, you know, there were six people sitting in this meeting. Four of them didn't say anything. I wasn't sure why they were there. Oh, well, you know, we have a hard time keeping everybody in the loop. And so that's why they were there to be a part of it. And I think that's crazy. That's four people at what dollar cost an hour just so that they could stay in the loop right so that's one thing i want to circle back though too to something that you said earlier about silos and organizations because i think that's also what so that kind of creates more meetings because we're trying to keep in the loop i think the thing when you start to bring leadership into being more of a collective experience where it's this idea of leaders coming together and supporting each other. When we're, when we're working with clients, one of the things we do is we make sure that those leaders are from different parts of the organization. So you'll have somebody from finance, somebody from IT, somebody from HR, you know, and, and we do these kind of small intimate groups, right? They're usually about eight people in the group together. And, you know, that is one of the outcomes that we see, which was 
the really the intention of um, of the program that I write about in in the book it was to help leaders develop you know finesse sort of their approach to leadership, do it in a way they're they're being supported by peers, learn more about themselves as leaders. We kind of have a core philosophy that's you know you need to understand your values and your strengths and what you're and get really clear and intentional about your impact as a leader. But the but the other parts that came out of it once when we started doing this program inside was we started seeing a broader understanding of the business. So you would have somebody in sales say to somebody in finance, oh, geez, I didn't know that when we did that, that's how it impacted your department. Let me go back and figure out how we could do that differently then. So you start to create, you start breaking down the silos, but you're also starting to build empathy and compassion within an organization. You start broadening people's understanding and awareness and you start creating that connectivity. And then I think things like, you know, meetings run a lot smoother. I had one of our um, folks say to me who'd come out of our program, I, I asked him, I said, what did we miss? Like, what could we have done better or differently? And he said, you know, like our group got to be so tight knit and so close going through the program that um, he at the time was working on a special project for the business and it wasn't going well. They were getting really, really stalled. And he said, you know, all the people that were in my peer group we could have gone in and done that program and done it like that because they were a high-performing team by that point. They had gotten to know each other. The psychological safety and trust is so high when you're going through this learn- shared learning experience together. But that's a great way to sort of deploy people into other aspects of the business. And I think that's what we have to just really, I think in any kind of work that we do with leaders or for um, people that are leaders in the organization is you're part of a system. Like, you know, the more kind of myopic you are on your, like if you're in finance and it's all about finance, no, like you're part of a, a bigger ecosystem. So how do you create connections and create understanding about how your side interacts with the other side and what's working in that relationship and what's not, you know? So um, I think there's other ways that we can get at helping organizations get better at <laughs> some of these things, but some of them are just addicted to meetings. I guess it, it's it's one of those things that you can put a check mark beside and say, yeah, I attended so many meetings this week, even if they didn't accomplish anything. My brother, this was oh, probably 15, well, probably longer than 15 years ago, maybe 20 years ago. He worked for um, an automotive IT organization. I'm not going to name them. But they were guilty of meetings, and they actually, and you'll appreciate this, they actually held a meeting to determine why they had so many meetings. <laughs> and I don't think they came to a conclusion because they <laughs> continued with their meeting plans, but it, it, you, you mentioned the psychological safety thing, mm-hmm. and it ties into a lot of things that I'm seeing people start to embrace a little bit is easing up and the empathy is a a key thing that needs to happen, especially now because everybody and everyone is going through this and they're from different aspects. And there's many of us that have a full-time job and congratulations. Now we're a full-time school teacher and Mm -hmm. you're trying to navigate through all of that and it's have empathy, do your best, keep the boundaries and the balance and make sure you don't get burned out. But I think from an organizational standpoint, I think organizations have this opportunity to say, okay, look, let's get some safety mechanisms in place. Like you're not going to get fired if you mess up. Okay. Yeah. And and create the safe environment so people can actually relax their shoulders a little bit 
And once they do that and they feel safe that they can go about and try things, what happens is that's where the creativity kicks in. And when you have creative people in your workforce, that's when innovation happens. That's when new ways to do things happen. That's when you cut down on the number of meetings because you get like the example you gave, you got this team that is just like this, where they literally know I'm going to take this pencil and I'm going to drop it and Cliff is going to grab it. And I don't even have to look. I'm just and Cliff's going to be there to grab it because they're that fine-tuned. And that happens by creating an environment where that can actually take place. And from a leadership standpoint, stepping back and letting these people grow and do things, you give them, here's the outcome. This is what we need. This is when we need it by. Let them do it. Let them creatively come up with a solution. As leaders, many of us have done it. We've done the role. And so you have to give people the opportunity to do it their way. And quite frankly, I've seen this time and time again, personally, wow, they did it better than I did. I'm like, okay, awesome. Where were you when I was learning how to do this? You could have taught me. It was, it would have made life a whole lot easier, but it's just, again, creating these environments where people feel the freedom to be able to do their job and work in their sweet spot. And when they can do that, those are the organizations, I think, that are going to be agile enough and will be able to pivot whatever we are going to face over these next few months and years from this COVID-19 situation. Yeah, I mean, and I think what, what you make me think of as, as you're speaking is, and, you know, it's just such a foundation of the work that we do at the roundtable, is this idea that really, truly, the most important thing you can do for yourself as a leader <clears throat> is to get a huge degree of self-insight and know that that journey is never going to be done. Like you, you, you know, unpacking yourself is a continuous, you know, I feel like it's just a peeling of the layer after layer after layer. And so, you know, when we look at leadership and we look at, you know, leaders creating these environments and the cultures that they want, so much of that starts with your own self-awareness. Too much in leadership development and the work of leadership development is very much about, I used to run a consulting firm in Toronto that ran a lot of workshop courses. And I remember we had this course that was called Dealing with Difficult People. And, and to me, it kind of sums up how we often position things. It's like the issues are always out there, kind of like my executive team yesterday, like it's the team that are the problem. And it's not like it, you have to start to look and say, how am I showing up as a leader? That self-insight becoming super intentional. Like I loved, I was listening to one of your podcasts earlier where you talked about yourself being a reformed people pleaser. People pleasing, that's a set of behaviors, right? That's a high empathy leader, right? There's nothing wrong with being a high empathy leader. Empathy is great. When it's overused, it becomes liability. And if the liability for, um, you know, for people is that it starts to get them overextended, they're burning themselves out because they're, they're satisfying everybody else versus themselves, all things in moderation are okay. And, you know, as leaders, the more we're aware that, gee, I have a tendency to, you know, lean really onto the people side heavily, and I got to lean onto the results side more. You know, we always talk about you got to balance results and people. The reality is the research says less than 1% of leaders actually do that well. Most of us lean either more on results or we need lean more on people. And there's a neurological reason for that. There's a little seesaw in our brain that when we're talking social things, our rational side goes down a little bit and then vice versa. So depending on your orientation, 
you're going to lean more one way or the, the other. But you need to know and understand that about yourself so you can be more intentional when you're going into situations where, and I love what you said earlier, you know, when you're talking about your delegation, you really swung the pendulum so far the other way. I mean, that's what usually happens when we're learning a new behavior is that we kind of overcompensate. Maybe we take it a bit too far because we're being so intentional about it that we, we go to the extreme. But somewhere in the middle is probably where that needs to be. And it's finding that balance that we need to continually work on as leaders. And so for us, we're really about, you know, hey, get intentional. Think about how you need to show up in this situation with this leader, with this team, with this group. What's the behavior that's required of you in that moment? And if it's a behavior that's not your go-to, you're going to have to practice it. You're going to have to, you know, like I really have to practice my structure. It's not my thing as a leader. I, I like to, you know, this interview, we're kind of riffing, going off the cuff. That's good for me. I, I like that, right? If it, if it had to be super planful, it would be really tough for me. But when I have to be more planful, like when I have to deliver a keynote that's within a very specified time period, and, you know, I have to adjust. So I think that's what, um, you know, uh, people that are listening to the podcast, I just want to, you know, kind of emphasize to them is this really is about you and it's about how you're showing up. So as soon as you start going there, 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 you know, the finger pointing, <laughs> I always want to say, what do I own? You know, what's my, what's the piece that I own in this situation, right? And that's where we, that's where we need to look and develop and continue to develop. It'll probably be your lifelong development thing, right? I don't think you can ever put a really huge check mark beside your opportunity. Certainly not been no, my experience. <laughs> exactly. No, my experience has never stopped learning. And, you know, I look back at my leadership journey and go back even just a few years and go, wow, I was dumb. And then now I look now and I go, well, I'm still dumb, but not dumb in that. And it's just, you, <laughs> totally. you just continue. You just, you do the best you can. And I love the analogy of just trying to find, you know, where, where you lean and in situations go, okay, am I too giving here or am I being mm -hmm. too results driven here? Where, where's the happy medium? And if you're better in tune with yourself and you know your team well, then you know when to kind of push and when to kind of ease up. And when you do that, it, it makes things so much easier and it flows so much better. So Glenn, I've loved our conversation today. Like we said in the, in the pre-show, we could probably talk all day on this stuff, but it's, 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 because we're both passionate about it. We, and we want what's best for organizations and we know that they can get there. And sometimes they just need somebody to say, it's, it's over there. Look, it's right there. <laughs> So where can people find out more about you and, and your new book and all this other awesome work you're doing? Yeah. So if they want to head to our website, which is goroundtable.com, you can find the book, The Grassroots Leadership Revolution on all of the major retailers, Indigo, Amazon.ca.com.uk, all of those places. And um, yeah, I'd love to hear what people think of it. Uh, drop me a line, drop a review on Amazon. It'd be great. Awesome. And I'll definitely have that in the show notes and I highly encourage everyone to pick up the book. It's a great book. So congratulations again on that. So Klein, thank you again for your time today. Really appreciate the work you do. Thanks so much, Michael. Great being here. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Breakfast Leadership Show, part of the Breakfast Leadership Network. Visit breakfastleadership.com for tips on empowering your business and your life.